On today's episode of Bill and Frank's Guilt-Free Pleasures, we talk about a song that featured the very first Spread Eagle Flying V Jump on MTV. We talk about a song whose lyrics might not say a lot, but it's a song that brings us into a starry night. And we talk to a real rock band about a real rock song. You're listening to Bill and Frank and the Julies talk about Def Leppard's photograph. Gunter Glieben Glatten Globen. On today's episode of Bill and Frank's Guilt-Free Pleasures, we were brought a song that I don't necessarily agree with. And I can't believe that I spent as much time as I did researching Photograph by Nickelback. Oh, that's good. Good, Frank. Very good. Okay. You're, you're jumping in <laughs> on my Photograph good. song category that I was going to introduce. So, oh, uh, oh, okay. Apologies. Have no fear, everybody. We are actually doing Def Leppard's Photograph. This is a very special episode because we're doing something new. We're bringing on a band as a special guest. Now, our listeners would be familiar with our good friend Chris Newkirk, who is uh, featured on a number of our episodes previously, but we also have bandmate Alex Yost with him, and they are two-thirds of the Julies. They have just released their first full-length LP after taking a uh, about a 30-year break between the uh, previous EP? That's that not about horrible. right. 30 years? No. No, it's 27, it's I think. Right. You're rounding okay. up, and you're a math teacher. I'm right, sure. right. Gotcha. Right. Just mere 27 years. So this uh, has been a long gestating album. That sound about right? No. I... <laughs> We've only been uh, active in this reunion capacity for a couple of years. So it's only been gestating for that long, I think, when we broke up. So many years ago, 27 years ago, not or, or a little less than that, that was the end of the dream for the most part. And I don't think we were harboring any hopes of a full length without a band. And then reuniting, there you go. Opportunity to make a full length. So 27 years later. Well, welcome back. <laughs> and those who haven't had a chance to listen to the album, it's uh, it's okay. It's not bad. Actually, I quite enjoy it. I listened to it a bunch of times at work the other week and quite enjoyed Heaven is a Dance Floor. Great track. Love it. And 
so the album is called Always and Always. It is an excellent album. It's been getting great reviews. And we will include a link to the Julie's Bandcamp and Spotify page and whatever else. Do, do you guys have a website? We do not. Oh, okay. They predate the internet, so yeah. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. That's true. So in case you haven't noticed... We're going to be fanboying for the next hour and a half over the Julies and not actually talking about Photograph by Def Leppard at all. We won't be fanboying over the Julies, Alex. We might be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure we'll be fanboying over Def Leppard either, though. But yeah. Well, we're going to okay, discuss so- Def Leppard. How about that? Oh, yeah. Sounds good. All right. Interestingly, you've picked Def Leppard, even though I believe it'd be fair to speak of the Julies as coming out of this sort of shoegaze style music from the like mid-90s. With myths and cure type of uh, influence going on there, would that be a fair assessment? Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. We consider ourselves more up the dream pop alley and definitely shoegaze, post punk. Yeah, post punk is sort of 80s new wave, post punk, right, what they right. used to call alternative, and then early 90s shoegaze. Yeah, dream pop is definitely our roots. Not the first word you would associate with Def Leppard. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, this is kind of the polar opposite on the rock spectrum from what Def Leppard is, which would be glam metal. You know, back in the 80s, it was probably the enemy of post-punk is like hair rock, yeah. et cetera. But, you know, that's more than 27 years ago. And today, you know, we've made amends with all our sonic enemies. I like that we're bridging this right now and breaking bread together. Alex was raised... He raised himself yeah. on hair rock. That That's my thing. Yeah. So I, I was assuming that Photograph was selected in part because Chris was being kind to me and giving me a chance to talk about something that I enjoy. But I would say my style as a guitarist or my goal as a guitarist through my career has been essentially to combine Striper and The Cure. So that's <laughs> oh, what the jewels yes. are. That's my attempt. I think this might be the first Striper reference we've had on the podcast. This might be the first time anyone has talked about having dreams of joining Striper and The Cure. (laughs) So this could be a whole new thing. I'm all about it. So since you're raised on the hair metal, Alex, if we could say hair metal, I I know um, I was reading up that Joe Elliott is pretty offended by the term, apparently, hair metal, and even like resisted having their music put in Rock of Ages because of the reference to these other bands. And he's like, we're nothing like these guys, was one of the things he was saying. But um, he, He's not wrong. Yeah, okay. Okay, good. Okay, so we can, we'll talk about that too. Sometimes it, they inadvertently cause things to, um, to be created, though, even though they might not have meant for it. But we have in Def Leppard, we got um, Joe Elliott, lead singer, and then there are two guitarists right now there was a, originally there was pete willis that sound right and then he got replaced on this album which is pyromania pyromania by um this shocked me actually by phil collin i'm and surprised swear, he left genesis I, to play guitar on I, a Def leopard <laughs> album i was trying to figure out why phil collins was having so much input in this band and then when i finally looked it up i realized that was not the plural uh, master of genesis but uh singular Phil Collin guitarist, but he's not quite rhythm or lead. They kind of interchange with Steve Clark. That sound about right, Alex? I'm Because I figure since you're a guitar guy, I don't want to mess this up. That's correct. And Pete Willis actually does play a number of guitar parts on the album. He laid down a lot of the rhythm tracks, but, but yeah, Steve and Phil had this thing where they 
they didn't like to define who's the rhythm and who's the lead guitarist. So they would often hand things back and forth. That sounds familiar. I was going to ask because we have Pat, who's not here today, but Alex and Pat are both the guitarists for the Julie. Yeah. So Chris, what do you actually do then? (laughs) Uh, I do the promotion. Okay. (laughs) You're the band manager. I manage the band. I manage the band. I do the social media. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm looking at the Wikipedia page here, and it shows that Phil Collin only did I shouldn't say only did, but he did the guitar solo on this track. So after Pete Willis left, I guess Phil Collin came in, laid down this wicked guitar solo, and that was uh, his influence on this song. Well, see, I'm not sure about So I know the intro is, there's two guitars playing at the in, in the intro, which mm-hmm. was a little surprising to me when I found that out. But it might be Pete playing. So I, I don't know, Frank. Um, I'm going to need to double check your, your facts. The research here. there, Frank. Phil Collin apparently played guitar at the very end of this. Like Mutt Lang told him to play guitar around the the, uh, the words or the sounds of the chorus going, and that he it was a whole new thing for him to to play in that way. So uh, so there you go, Frank. Well, not to step okay. on your research. It's not so much that I'm wrong. You're disputing Wikipedia, which is a credible resource and documented knowledge base where. It's almost always correct because anyone can put entries in. And the more people that put in entries, the more chances you have of being correct. Oh, man. At some point, we're going to have something usable here. (laughs) This is all usable. (laughs) Um, Alex and Pat have the same sort of synergy playing guitar that Def Leppard has. There's no defined rhythm or lead. There's often intertwining parts, etc. And to be frank, it's one of the reasons we we chose this song to talk about with you guys oh good it's just it's so reflective of how we tackle music if sonically a little bit different i was gonna say that always and always sounds a lot like their album hysteria it's very similar thank you frank yeah their <laughs> album their unfinished album wisteria yeah. was probably very clever there that's good with alex and pat synergy between you do you both approach guitar in the same way or are you different in the same way that Steve Clark and Phil Collin were, where Steve Clark was like classically trained and then Phil Collin was sort of a guy who was self-taught and he went with feel rather than just going with the sort of musical theory? To some degree, yeah. I mean, they're actual real guitarists, those two. Okay, so it's a little <laughs> tough to, to compare. But yeah, I mean, I took I actually took guitar lessons for many years Pat is self-taught. Our musical upbringing is very different in the way we, the kinds of things we think of are just, you know, in our space, polar opposites a lot of times. So Pat would never try to combine either Striper or The Cure. Maybe The Cure inadvertently because, you know, Chris and I have soaked him in it for all these years. But Pat would be, he's, what's in his mind is, is a much more garage bandy, you know, angular, different progressions, different rhythms undergroundy kind of stuff right so it's fun for us because what we try to do is listen to what the other person writes and then play off of it it's like we really do listen and build a part at a time which apparently is also how Def Leppard built this album or how Mutt Lang built this album part at a time 
but that's you know it's it's beyond the guitars to now it's not just, you know so we build we listen we build we listen we build and adapt i want to really talk a lot about this julie's album i know we want to talk about def Leppard, but maybe we'll get a chance to to go further because i i know you're when you talk about yourself not as a guitarist but i really like what i'm hearing so whatever it is you were doing in the studio I'm convinced I'm hearing real guitars that are playing off each other and like creating a space for the sort of dreams that that we're talking about, or at least driving. It takes you to a place, which is the sort of goal of great music for me. That's very kind. Yeah, I mean, those are real guitars. <laughs> there weren't the real fake ones sitting there playing them. Yep, was an AI um, guitar. Not yet, but we are starting to work on the next album. Yeah, it's good to know that you know Guynet hasn't taken over the Julies quite yet. It's only a matter of time. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so hey Frank, should we talk a bit about the history of this band called should we, Def Leppard? Should we talk about Def Leppard a little bit? And okay. I talked about this just very, very briefly before we started recording, but I found out way too late that this band was from the UK. Despite all their branding having <laughs> Union Jack sort of imagery and everything like that attached with it, I always thought they were just an American band. An American band that couldn't spell the same way that Leonard Skinner couldn't spell. I thought they were Australian. I don't know why that was what I always assumed. <laughs> and all the evidence, it was so embarrassing to like, oh yeah, that that would be the sort of the stuff they're you wearing. You thought they were Australian? Yeah, but now I realize really? I don't even know what the Australian flag looks like, but I guess there's no Union Jack and that flag is there. Well, there is the elements, a piece of it, yeah. Because yeah. okay. they were a colony, right. right? They're part of the Commonwealth, yeah. as are you. Yeah, that's right. Right, that's right. Canadians. Well, Frank, I'm almost as bad as you, though, in terms of knowledge about Def Leppard, because I just realized last week that Pyromania is actually their third album and not their first album, as I assumed. Yeah, and a good jumping off point here, because their first two albums, eh, they did okay, but this was the one that really put them on the map, right? This is, they brought Mutt Lang in, the ex-Mr. Shania Twain, and he was the producer extraordinaire on this album. He was the one that really put this album together and, like I said, put Def Leppard on the map, despite the fact that they couldn't spell. You, you certainly haven't talked about enough metal bands or hair rock bands because they all have the same spelling issues. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so Apparently the Beatles, uh, <laughs> that, that's not the way you spell Beatle either. Really? But yeah, I guess it just fuels the fire that hard rock fans or metal fans were not so good at reading and writing, but that does have that classic 80s metal phonetic spelling, which is classic. It's funny for me. I remember a kid, because 1983, I guess Pyromania came out in the lunchroom cafeteria. He pulls out his Velcro wallet. I don't know if you guys remember those like 80s Velcro wallets. And they had band names on them sometimes. In New Jersey, you could win them on the boardwalk at like one of the, you know, the sundry game booths they had. And he opens it up and he's really proud of it. He's positioning it just enough for me to, to notice. And, you know, I ask about it and I guess the, you know, the Pyromania singles were just hitting photograph was probably on MTV at this point and on the radio. And I remember talking about his wallet and him telling me that Def Leppard was the new Led Zeppelin and the name even looked like Led Zeppelin. <laughs> and they chose that spelling because it mimics Led Zeppelin, like D-E-F and L-E-D. It's one of the, the most like uh, pronounced memories I have of Def Leppard was that moment. And I think it added to the mystique. So when 
you know, Photograph and Foolin' and, and those songs came on MTV, my ears were, were, were ready for them because they were the new Led Zeppelin. I didn't know much about Led Zeppelin then either, but I just knew that, whoa, that must be, that must be pretty important. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, that sounds very believable to me. The Def Leppard, Led Zeppelin thing, that actually kind of makes total sense. I actually believed it for years and I, I assumed maybe because of that, like, you know, grade school, middle school cafeteria truth, you know, I just was a sucker for it that I, for years, I carried that as the origin story of their name to find out that it was just a phonetic spelling of a hard of hearing big cat from the jungle. I, I had a harder time believing that than they were trying to mimic Led Zeppelin for some marketing pull. Oh, wait, leopards can't hear well? Is that true? No, but this one can't. The one that they named the band after. Wait a sec, there's I actually- I think leopards normally hear pretty well. <laughs> yeah, and their original band name of Tinnitus Tiger just really didn't catch on. <laughs> Hearing lost lion. Okay, wait, I gotta get down to this. There's an actual deaf leopard? Like a real leopard that's- No! No, I, I think it's a leopard, hypothetically, that might have been deaf. Oh. Maybe oh, because boy. they rock so yeah. hard- Okay. All right. Now, now I'm feeling dumber. For I got the Phil Collins thing messed up, and now I'm believing that there's an actual Def Leppard. Oh man! I didn't know that before the first couple albums they had an EP out, and that there's a crossover into the world of post punk in that. That they had a single off that called "Get Your Rocks Off." <laughs> they love the word rock. If you follow their, their yeah, song yeah. titles and song lyrics enough, that was. Given a lot of airtime by this super famous indie rock DJ named John Peel, who has championed bands that, you know, Alex and I listen to, like The Cure and The Smiths, and even more obscure bands than that. And, he, you know, he was a champion of, you know, really obscure indie rock and punk rock, uh, a lot of post punk. And he started spinning this Def Leppard song, which was their first taste of, of fame. And I had no clue that our worlds overlapped in that way. You know, that the Susie and the Banshees champion was also a champion of Def Leppard. The EP in their first album is a different type of sound than what you get when Mutt Lang shows up for High and Dry, their second album, that, that shift starts. And it felt like in the first album, just the sounds were, it sounded more like 1970s heavy, sounded a bit more like Sabbath to me. If I'm, I, I don't listen to a lot of Black Sabbath, but the drumming sounded like that to me. And then Mutt Lang kind of brought them into a, a, a shinier sheen. Can I say it's shinier it sheen? Like a cartoonish Frank. Zeppelin at times. Well, yeah, right? he added the glam to the metal, right? Yeah, the sparkle. And There's the spark a sparkle. Yes, sparkle metal. That's a that's a different genre altogether. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, the guitar sound gets so locked in where it's really otherworldly, and you know it instantly. Like you, like like Alex and I would know the Cure sound, and. I would argue that maybe it started with a song like Photograph, but it's 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 hard but sparkly and it sounds to me like this dreamy starry night sky that that may rain down meteors and comets and lightning bolts on your ass at any moment. But it's sparkly and dreamy somehow and it's just it's a, it's a fantastic magical sound.
no denying the sonic beauty, the magic that they've created or the Mutlangs helped them create. It's so instantly recognizable that nobody else can kind of own. It's hard, but sparkly. It's threatening, but dreamy. It's just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Like foundationally, this pop music, right? Like it feels like underneath it is this beautiful, for me, this catchy, fun song that has all the the trappings of something heavy, but it, there's also something super light and and easy to sort of sing along to. Yeah. I read an article and I got bored with it because I don't understand music, like the technical end of things at all. But it was breaking down the song and it was using terms and all sorts of stuff that I had no idea what they were talking about. But the one thing I did pick up on before I got bored with the article and started looking at something on BuzzFeed was that most songs have a boring part in it. But this song has nothing but exciting parts. Like they move from every little part of the song just moves on to something that's a little bit different, but it's always exciting. There's always fun and big things happening with this song. And it's always cathartic and urgent. That's the thing that gets me about this song, that there's such intensity, catharsis, and urgency the whole freaking way through from that opening guitar track, that intro, which sort of grabs you like a shark, right? Like in its clutches, all the way out to the outro, which takes this the chorus, and it's a beautiful and interestingly constructed chorus, and then takes it into these other spaces. Alex was texting us today about some of the technical stuff that <laughs> Def Leppard does that he could explain a lot better than I could that explains some of the magic. That's his turf. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if it explains the magic, but there are some parts of the song that I just love. A couple things. First of all, in the verse, when that bass comes in and the chunky guitar, like when you stay on the bass note and just play that bass note on eighth notes or whatever, it's called a pedal tone. And that's one of the things that I love about heavy metal music in general, just that like driving bass line. And that's so, so cool. Basically what I was also telling Chris, which will be of interest to you maybe in a year or two when we release our next album is that we're like adopting some of these techniques for and applying them to some new songs we're working on right now. But that pedal to him, I love it. But then the chorus, I mean, you know, I feel like I, the, the verse is this gritty. I feel like I'm walking down like a cobblestone street with like very close walls and water running down the sides of the building and some mold on the ground. But then I step through a gate into this open field and it's dusk and, the sky opens up when that chorus comes. So it's almost almost like claustrophobia. It feels like it. Which is another Def Leppard album that's never been released. <laughs> Anything ending in I Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I resonate with the song the same way. The chorus construction floors me. And it's it's similar to to a lot of 
you know, indie or, or, or post-punk music where the chorus isn't following classic songwriting rules of going a step and a half up. Like the verse is more intense guitar wise, at least there's, there's, they're harsher, they're, they're, they rock harder. But then the chorus comes and it, the guitars are prettier. They're more filigree like. And the, you know, it goes, it comes right out of that verse guitar, which is bigger and tougher. And then there's that call and response lyric or vocal, which is just, you know, it's photograph and then you get the, you get the, the, the response. It doesn't feel like classic chorus writing. It feels like it came out of, I mean, it feels like it came out of a producer finding things that they were experimenting with and putting it together to create something that you just don't write when you're about to perform a song live as a band. It, it feels like it's just, it's too interesting and it works so well. It's just totally magic. And the, and the chorus vocals are just freaking amazing. The call and response aside, how it's constructed, just the, the two melodies. And there's not like, they're really interesting, intricate melodies. They're just freaking bang you in the head. Mm-hmm. Both of them. And they're both both different. And they both work together so synergistically. It just feels like so well-crafted. And they're over top of that beautiful arpeggio guitar parts underneath, which are just amazing. Oh, wow. We've gone way deeper than we've ever gone to a song so <laughs> I far. I don't so understand I say, a single word that anyone is... has said for the last five minutes. <laughs> <This> is... <laughs> like, not one. <laughs> Isn't an archipelago like a series of islands? <laughs> Frank was so wanting to talk just about the cowbell on the pre-chorus. Thank <laughs> you. That's what I understand. That's what I get. I got to say, I've, can we go back to how great that image that Alex just created about yeah. going through the verse into the chorus? I feel yeah. like we talked about claustrophobia, but I actually was like, wow, this actually does describe what we go through in this song. Just the guitar sound alone for me does that. Right? And that's why it's like, it's a, this pretty dreamy starry night sky. There's something about their sound, which feels like you're in an open space and it's pure magic. I think about sometimes when I hear their guitar sound, <laughs> I think about like being in Boy Scouts on a camping trip, looking up at all the oh, yeah. stars that I didn't get to see living in suburban New Jersey, so close to Manhattan. I am so excited about the Julie's tribute album to Def Leppard. This is really exciting for me. (laughs) Okay, we know this is like the power production where Mutt Lang is the one who brought in the chorus because I'm just reading here that he's the one who came in with the idea of this line and it's all I've got is a photograph. And I'm guessing he's saying it to them because if you listen to other Mutt Lang produced stuff, especially the pop stuff, you can hear some of this in Shania Twain. And so I think my Lang kind of got them to focus around it, but then they were able to fill it in. Well, of course it was focused because or else the photograph just wouldn't have been like, you know, you wouldn't have an unfocused oh photograph, goodness. Bill. <laughs> I listened to, uh, Frank, I know I, I know you're going to feel I've been cheating on the podcast here, but I listened to another podcast Wait, called what? The Def Lep Pod. You get it? The Def Lep Podcast. And so as a guide of England who worked through all the Def Leppard material and he talked through the history of the creation of Photograph. So I thought I'd bring some of uh, oh, his knowledge to the table here. But like I got to question some of his research here. So Chris, you're going to help me on this being a soccer fan. Okay. 
when is the World Cup? Does it take place in like an 80 and 84 or is it like an even or odd year? When when do they it's take every, place? It was every four years. It still is um, in the summer on even years. And it would have been 82, 82 and 86 and then 90. So 78, 82. Okay. 86. Yeah. Was, was Pyromania released in 82 or 83? 83. Okay. So the story goes, according to Def Leppard, that they were watching a like nondescript World Cup match that didn't involve any of the teams that they love. And while they were doing this, Steve was bored, went to another room, and ended up fixing the song. Because the song was around for like two years. Even on High and Dry, Photograph was kind of being tossed around, but they didn't feel they had it. And then Steve Clark was able to come up with that riff that we know so well, which is the da na na na. That sounded about right, Frank. Did I get it? Right from the yeah, it's pretty much exactly how it sounds. (laughs) So, but then I read another article with the Joe Elliott interview, and he said they were watching a cricket game, which is way worse. (laughs) That would explain why someone would leave the room, (laughs) but that they were watching a cricket game. Joe Elliott said they're watching a cricket game, and he said he hates cricket. He doesn't know why they're watching it. And you've just offended all of our friends from India and Pakistan and all those giant cricket nations. Well, no, cricket's great. You can watch a game for, what, three or four days? They take tea breaks and all that. But but apparently there is a cricket game going on. So it's either cricket or soccer. I like to think it's actually cricket. And while they're watching this game in the other room is where um, Steve Clark finally said, I fixed it. And he came up with this riff. And it's an amazing riff too, right? Like that introduction with that riff is just, it's just so fantastic. It starts off at such a high level, but like that article said, there are no boring parts. It doesn't ease down. It's always just exciting. That is one of the main attractions to the song for me, especially coming from a fan of mostly other genres. It's the whole thing is, as you know, in the words of Spinal Type, is is that 11? <laughs> <laughs> One of the other things that was really cool that I read about the album is Thomas Dolby played keyboards on it. No way. Yeah. This is shortly after he released She Blinded Me With Science. They gave him a, a pseudonym because everyone thought like, Thomas Dolby, what's he doing on a hard rock album? So he got credited as right. Booker T. Boffin, who played keyboards on the album. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> And then often sounds like a name that Def Leppard might have got. I know, up. right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Chris Thompson, Frank, sang backing vocals. And Chris Thompson, we talked about a few weeks ago because uh, he was the co writer for You're the Voice. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. We got to talk about this first verse. Now, we, we know Alex is one of the guitarists from the Julies. We don't want to say lead because we know Pat and Alex share this special synergy. But we got Chris, who is the uh, lead singer and lyricist for the band. And band so, manager. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm also the social media community manager. That's right. Okay. So, let's go through this, Chris. Help us out here as we try to understand the deeper meanings 
behind photograph. All right, I'm going to read this out loud in my best uh, English teacher voice. I'm out of luck, out of love, got a photograph, picture of passion killer. You're too much. You're the only one I want to touch. I see your face every time I dream, on every page, every magazine, so wild and free, so far from me. You're all I want, my fantasy. I know, it reads a little bit like Helen Ginsberg almost, right? (laughs) I was thinking the exact same thing. What I really like about that first verse, and sorry, I know we're we're going to go into a bit of lyrical analysis here and get Chris's take on it more. So, the pacing of it, the way that it's it's sung, is really I find it really neat. It's like I'm struggling not to sing this, but I'm out of luck, out of love, got a photograph, picture of like it's just it has that really weird pacing to it it almost feels like it and each line ends really abruptly am i correct in that it's a cobblestone street are we right out we're walking on these cobblestone streets yes that's what i'm saying (laughs) it's not as loquacious it's not as verbose it doesn't have as many syllables as a lot of courses it's not bob dylan it almost feels like there should be more words to it it's about melody yeah yeah, but he didn't need no, more. No, it doesn't words, need right? more, the but it feels is, like it doing could so much. have more words, right? Oh, sure. But I think. Don't patronize me, Chris. He's, he's, yeah, I don't want to cover the wrist. He can't step on those guitar lines. Oh, oh that's true. On. Yeah. <laughs> to be frank, I, I do think that is the purpose behind these lyrics, or the, the melody. It's, it's, it's to give this song the musical space it needs to breathe. And he's got a big voice, he can sing three or four s- syllables. And it sounds bigger than three or four syllables. That's true. And so it's all about melody. And you can, you can feel like the lyrics are the first thing that came to mind. Like did, he didn't do a second draft, a third draft. There's no crafting. It's just singing at the mic. And if Mutt Lang did indeed come in with this sort of chorus idea about a photograph, it's all just about what can I sing to lead up to this photograph? Yeah, totally. I mean – for me, it's such do or die music, such urgency. And it's over a photo that he's perhaps having onanistic inclinations towards. Again, I have no idea what you're saying. <laughs> this for me was a perfect canvas to paint a picture of like me versus the world or facing mortality or even that love of a lifetime. Uh, it's totally ripe for that sort of thing with the, just the intensity and of the music. And maybe that's my own desire of what I want out of a song that feels like this, but it feels like more of a song about an object of self-affection and okay, I, I, I can roll with that. All I, I still applaud <laughs> where they've netted out. It's if that song is about the muse of, of self-love. Well, yeah, it still, it still works. But I think, 
you know, we haven't dove to this into the second verse yet or the, the verse after the chorus or, or the chorus. But to me, it's a far better song lyrically if he's like this soldier off to war. He's a rock and roll clown on tour, <laughs> uh, clinging to the hope of some romantic reunion. But I feel like he's just talking about a photo, not the photo that some woman gave him as he goes off to war or goes off to tour and he just wants to, to reunite. I feel like he just saw a picture in a magazine and wants her. Yeah, right. It's, Isn't that what you think? Oh yeah. That's my reading of it. He sees this woman, these this picture of this woman in magazines or wherever, and the the video kind of implies it as well. But he wants that woman. It's it's a song about infatuation and and obsession. Yeah, teenage fantasy. Yeah, right? be yeah. But I feel like it's even more lustful than it. It it's it is about obsession, but it's not like creepy obsession. It's more like gross obsession. Well, yeah. I mean, they were young when this album came out too, right? Like they were early 20s. Yeah, totally. So, right. their, their brains haven't fully developed at that point even. That's what 80s heavy metal was all about anyway. Well, yeah, yeah exactly, right? We all know this sort of the, the fever dream of that. And I feel like at least you know, this song is by people written in their early 20s, probably speaking to people in their late teens that – obsess over somebody based on their looks and you know maybe it is romantic it's it's definitely at some point getting to that like lust threshold and for them in this song i think it gets that lust threshold and just stays there I like the idea, too, that he's not letting the lyrics get out of hand because we all want to hear that guitar riff. We want to hear that music. And so, he's he knows to let the music kind of push you along, right? So, right. when Frank was talking about it not being too wordy, there is something there that without these guitars, there's there's nothing to this. But that riff just guides us to those sounds that we're looking for. Yeah, the lyrics don't get in the way of the music, right? It doesn't try and overpower. No, they don't. I was just going to say, they feel almost incidental or inconsequential. Yeah. Like, I don't feel like we're, we're analyzing the lyrics, but I don't feel like they're meant to be analyzed. Right? No. Oh, like, we're struggling. Is it here. about lust or desire or unrequited love? Who cares? It's about guitar. <laughs> right. And it's about the sweet melodies. No, except for rock and roll clown. <laughs> oh, yeah. We got to get to the pre chorus because it's so key. Oh, look what you've done to this rock and roll clown. What a line. Oh, look what you've done. Here's what I love about this is he refers to himself as a clown, which I feel is a different move than other hard rock metal bands from before, where he's actually taking him down a peg, where I feel like ACDC doesn't make fun of themselves in the way that Joe Elliott just did where he calls himself a clown. I, d I don't know of other songs where they talk about... I know Led Zeppelin talks about being made a fool and stuff like that, but Rock and Roll Clown is, clown is a whole a new thing to me. to throw in there, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of almost phonetically comes across like Rodeo Clown, which would make for a great video as opposed to the one that they made. Lost opportunity. Based on the passion killer line. That phrase sticks out like a sore thumb, no doubt. But I do, I do feel like any chance they get to say rock or rock and roll, they're going to use. 
So, so there's that. And that, to me, the idea of rock or rock and roll, if you look at their lyrics and their song titles, is so aggrandizing that is it really knocking themselves down a peg when they attach it to rock and roll? If he just said, I'm a clown, totally. But he's a rock and roll clown. That's so good. Right? He's a guy that just writes songs, is on tour, and is making so much money. And wears wigs and a fake nose on stage. <laughs> well, there, see, maybe it's a line that's more apropos to Kiss because of the makeup and their persona. But yeah, Def Leppard, they went, they're the ones that went there. Yeah. Kiss would never call themselves clowns, I don't think. I, I don't I'm just, think so, no. Yeah. Van, I mean, even Van Halen wouldn't do this, even though. They do a vaudeville routine, but um, but this is something else. All right, I want to bring us to that chorus, which is which is what we're all about here, in general at Guild Free Pleasures, but especially this song, which is this is why we're here. And uh, we start with uh, everyone singing together, photograph, and then Joe Elliott saying, "I don't want your," and then we hear photograph again. I don't need your photograph. All I've got is this photograph. But it's not enough. So I want to go back to Alex's vision of this chorus. From cobblestone to what was it again? Just could you could you bring us back to that place? Walking out of a dirty city, gritty, wet, moldy into an open field, but it, oh, suddenly it's like nighttime as well. Oh yeah, and the stars are sparkling, and there you can see the hills in the distance, and there's a glow somewhere in it. But it, but then like the, those those ringing guitars in the background, I can hear that like echoing across the mountains. It's just so beautiful. And there's something there where, you know, most of these rock songs are going to be about lust or uh, desire and all this. But really, the sounds that we're hearing are actually taking us to these other sort of places that are far more magical than just that sort of... Yeah. I almost hear the chorus in the distance. You know, like the the, the riff from oh, the yeah. verse is tight. But then when it opens... I feel like it's an outdoor concert and you know, you're walking, but the concert's over that hill right there. And yeah, you can see the lights flashing. You can hear the cowbell and there's the concert over there. You're just wrong. It feels intentional too, doesn't it? It feels like that's the production. I mean, but it can't be coincidence that Alex and I are both hearing, and we hadn't talked about this, like starry night skies when we hear those guitars. Yeah. It's, there's something in the production that's just evoking this semi-intentionally at least it's the chords too they're beautiful when you say chords is it like the letters are going to give us or are they uh <laughs> we're I kept- Frank, it's, it's all new to frank and i we're we're walking in territory where we don't know the language of this world we've just walked into um i i, t- I have to take a minute to think about the names the letters but i i know how to play them and they sound nice but they're not standard chords the first one is but then there's a progression of four and the second, third and fourth are minor and they're interesting, really interesting. Especially I love that last chord. It's a G. I do know that one G flat major yeah. seven. And it's just beautiful. So it's not just the sound and the production, but those chords are like they, in another context, 
played differently, they would sound dark. But the way they're played here, they're bright somehow, even though they're modern chords. But they are atypical for a chorus, let alone a hair rock or hair metal band chorus, right? Yeah, I think so. It's almost like an anti-chorus. It's dense in a sense, but then it feels up. Yeah, well, the vocals just soar too, right? They just soar on top of it. I mean, with the theme of not ever getting the object of his affection, maybe works with those minor sounds too, that he's, you're never quite getting there anyways. What do you think? How's, how's that for analysis? It's got to be spot on. All right. I'm always looking for affirmation. It's just that's... Uh... <laughs> Wasn't it Nigel Tufnell who said that D minor was the saddest key? <laughs> <laughs> Keep those final tap references coming. Yeah, well, it's part of a uh, a trilogy, really, a musical trilogy that I'm doing in D minor, which I always find is really the saddest of all keys, really. I don't know why, but it makes people weep instantly to play a... It's a horn As I was at school, I was like, kids are writing tests today. I was trying to prepare for this episode. It was kind of tough because I was clearing over when kids were asking for help and all that. But I was looking over the lyrics like, I don't have a lot to say about them because I have written here. Pretty straightforward. I don't know if you can see that. It does. It's just... Verse two. I'd be your lover if you were there. Put your hurt on me if you dare. Just That's a classic rock line where I'm like, okay, put your hurt on me. All right. Such a woman. You got style. You make every man feel like a child. Oh, you got some kind of hold on me. You're all wrapped up in mystery. So wild and free, so far from me, you're all I want, my fantasy. So again, keeps it pretty simple. I think it's not really changing up what he's talking about. What are we thinking? What are we thinking here, uh, you three? I agree. I'm going to offer no further analysis. Yeah, I agree, Bill, that there's not much there with the lyrics. It's pretty simplistic. The line, I'd be your lover if you were there. It's like, well, that is, uh, you know, it sounds better when you hear it. When you read it, like, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> It kind of feels like creepy sexting. Like, yeah. Or does it? I, I don't know. It just feels like there. hard rock lyrics. Yeah, there you go. He wants to make sure that we're all aware that if he was there, if he was with her physically, like in the same sort of area, he would be her lover. So I think that's a flex, right? I think it's like if he was close to her, there's no doubt he would be her lover. So he's making that statement. And maybe that's why she's not there. Exactly, right? (laughs) But what if he was far from her? Also, wisely, they just stop doing lyrics here and go straight to pre-chorus, chorus, 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 chorus. Just give us what we want here. There's a great interview with Joe Elliott. Uh, Rolling Stone had his interview with him where he talked about how he doesn't even know what these lines mean anymore. 
No, but there is something in, I feel like, you know, it's funny in this exercise of, of making a new record, it's hard to talk about the same things you talked about when you're in your early 20s. Unrequited love is a luxury you don't have as an adult. You don't have an opportunity to entertain unrequited love. Love is very different. Life is very different. And relationships are very different. It's not looking up at the moon and wondering what that person would be like. It's it's living with that person and making a decision every day to love each other. And And there's so much going on in the world. How do you just write about desire and unrequited love? Yeah, a song, you know, maybe. A record's worth of songs about, you know, unrequited love or desire or lust doesn't make sense as you get older when there's a lot going on sociopolitically. Families are sort of orbiting your sphere. You, you are part of a family. You're raising a family or you have a career. You have different objectives in life than being in the same space with somebody so that you can be their literal lover, right? It's as an adult, you're trying to make time to be lovers and not just parents or people managing a life with friends. (laughs) So wait, let me ask Frank, you're a single guy. Wait, I am. You are, but you are, you know, you're not 23. Like the people that made this record. Yes. I'm also not British. So I don't know how that plays out with this whole uh, question and answer thing. (laughs) Neither do I. Nor do I know where that came well, from. Well, maybe maybe think but, about your questions a little bit harder next time before you ask them, but go ahead. <laughs> so if you were British and single, you know, you're not 22. How do songs about unrequited love or desire hit now in a, in a way that's different than maybe they hit at 22? You just want to know a little bit more about me here, right? Yeah, you're frank. You're, unrequited you're love like that's a that's a really tough one without getting into too much i'm still very i don't know if immature is the right word to use inexperienced when it comes to being in love songs about unrequited love still really tug at my heart i they, do. they still do i i know that it's the pragmatic side of me is that whole feeling is it's different now because it's not, I really want to be with this person. And there's all those blinders that are up because you have that sort of tunnel vision love for this person. Now it's like, no, I think I really like this person, but how would we coexist together? How would we cohabitate together? Who's taking care of the mortgage? Who's doing their groceries on Sunday? Like those are the questions that, that end up being asked a little bit more but I still love love, if that makes sense. Oh, I mean, I think we all we all do. No, but I think I love it more than you guys. Well, sure. You'd have to. You're frank for yourself. But isn't that one of the beauties of art generally as well, is that you can experience things without having the real impact that you, that you would in real life. So, yeah, you can, you can kind of go with it when it comes to unrequited love in a song or a movie. Yeah. Well, I think as songwriters – you know, a lot of us that write lyrics try to keep a certain crypticism to the lyrics so that you can interpret them with some latitude. So it's not you're thinking about my literal experience. And even on a song like this, which is a fairly literal song, Alex, you're like, you know, it could be about a photograph, sure, as a song, but you apply that to someone that you have a crush on, you're obsessed with, you desire. It doesn't have to be literally someone that's in a photograph. It could be someone that's in class next to you at work, whatever. 
And that's the beauty of lyrics. I just was thinking about how cool it is that there's a song about a photograph. Like that, that's the focus of it. That's, that's kind of original. But that, even as I say it, I was just typing into Spotify the word photograph and like all these songs came up. Like, okay, maybe I better take back that comment. But there is back to the unrequited love thing and about, you know, being where we are at this stage of life. This sort of song brings you right back to it younger time, which is what appeals to us so much about the songs we do on this podcast. I was told by somebody that nostalgia is one of the most dangerous things to get involved in because it can disrupt all these things in our lives. And he was basically saying that our podcast is doing something very dangerous in people's lives. But I would uh, argue against that. I've never been accused of being a dangerous person. So, but there is something about this where it brings you back to a time of your life when this song actually rang true, that, that the photograph thing that he's talking about is an experience you've had. And I think you can kind of go back and laugh a bit more at it. So it becomes funnier. Back then it wasn't as funny. Might, we might have taken it more seriously. But now it's it's funny but also fun because you can kind of laugh at yourself. And it's yeah. okay to go there. But it still has that intensity too that you can tap into. Oh, yeah. Because you have that youthful muscle memory of listening to the song too. Sonically, it'll probably take you there anyway. But you have that youthful muscle memory that – you're immediately catapulted into the space of do or die. What's in my heart matters the most right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The nostalgia thing is interesting because, I mean, I understand um, <laughs> I understand that nostalgia, like most abstract constructs that you put your brain and your life into can, can be a web that you can't kind of extricate yourself from. That said, it's like don't look back on your past. What, what sense does that make? And it's funny, one of the feedbacks we get on our record is that it's sort of a vehicle for people to experience their own nostalgia, whether it's literally because they listened to us 27 years ago or because the music is emblematic of music that was made, you know, 30, 40 years ago, whatever. Like our influences filter out through our sounds yeah, yeah. And, and our approach. And I think that's one of the beauties of music is to be able to tap into any period of time, especially in your own life, that one of the joys of of this podcast and of music in general is the opportunity to compile a soundtrack to your life, right? Mm-hmm. And how do you compile a soundtrack to your life if you can't look back on your life and be nostalgic? You can only live in the present and apply songs to now. So go forth. That's right. And we take our nostalgia and do something with it. So we're not just saying it was a better time in the 80s. I don't want to go back to a time when I was worried about the bomb because now we're all at peace, right, guys? We're always so, yeah. The world is a very, yeah, very stable, peaceful place. Should we talk about this music video? I think we have We should to. talk about the dagger. That's the unrated version of the uh, of the video. That was cut from the video on MTV, wasn't it? It's Yeah, there's two. There's an unrated well, version that has the... The knife, but the whole point of the knife is is for this ridiculous backstory in that passion killer line. There's one line. There's one phrase. Oh my goodness! Yeah, it's it's pretty bad for like whatever the story is that's going on in the background. All we care about is seeing them up on that stage, and you see Marilyn Monroe 
But that chalk outline, the, the guy, was it the guy line there or the, or Marilyn It was the guy, then the girl. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, and it's, it's a passion killer thing. Which isn't what the song's really about. It feels like a lyric that he sang that stuck. And he makes it work somehow contextually because you're just rolling through the song. Right. But you're, you're exactly right. The electricity of the band playing live, and maybe it's because we're looking through the lens of nostalgia, looking back at this band so freaking young that have been there forever for in our lives. The drummer is 19, I think, in the video. Yeah, I Rick think so. Allen, right? Yeah, like just thinking about this, they're all in their early twenties. That means when their first album came out, they're teenagers. And that EP, they're like sixteen or seventeen. Well, I think Rick Allen joined the band when he was fifteen, I read. That's insane. It is insane. This video we have the Marilyn Monroe thing, which of course is where the picture is. And a lot of people, even on the Song Facts webpage where in the comment section, one guy's like, Listen, it's about Marilyn Monroe, I know it. But we also know that the band just uses Marilyn Monroe as a as an example. But when they well, wrote it, it, was just about whatever. It wasn't even the band that used it. It was whoever directed the video that decided that was right. going to be the aesthetic or that was going to be the image that they were going to use. They picked some interesting clothes to wear for the video. And I think this is where the Union Jack thing comes out. Now, I got to be careful because on Def Lep Pod, I learned that you only call it the Union Jack if it's flying on a mast on a ship, but it's just the Union flag if it's on someone's ass. <laughs> and what, anything else to say about this video? There is one major thing. Oh, yeah. The, the jumping flying V? The very first ever flying V. Yeah. Right? This is before Van Halen. Yeah, this predates yeah, jump this is the by, first time. by Van Halen. Yeah. This is the first time on video that someone did a jump like that. Now, Chris, you're a lead singer of a band. When the Julies started, were you able to pull that flying V off? And then what happened when you weren't able to do it on that first show? <laughs> <laughs> I had more of a Marky Mark vibe, apparently. Yes, that's right. So, uh, yeah. Go, go figure. Yeah, another world. Yeah. Yeah. We, we lost a, a, a contract, a recording contract, because... A stage presence reminded the label of Marky Mark, and they didn't like the aesthetic of our bass player. Was that because you were a Calvin Klein underwear model, or? Yeah, I was carrying a six pack. <laughs> it's the closest to the six pack I came. Um, I might have worn Calvin Klein's. So Alex and Pat are doing the business, and then Chris and your bassist screw everything up. Yep. I like to dance, Bill. You know I like to dance. <laughs> did a lot of jumping. I did a lot of pointing. I did a lot of like theatrics, but rhyming. The <laughs> the flying V just wasn't in my my reference library at the point at that time. I don't. To think. be fair, you're at least ten to twelve years removed from that, and so it was no <laughs> longer a thing. It was no longer a thing. And, uh, but I could have brought it back at least on a very small, 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 very small scale. <laughs> it's a crazy move. It's a crazy move for anyone to do. I can't believe he pulled it off. Yeah. And just watching the video was like, just somebody willing to do that jump is insane to me. There were cables. <laughs> there were cables. Just like in Highlander, you get the Blu-ray and like, oh, this isn't real.
as you know, um, oh, actually, this is really awesome because be, we've just gone to the meta world because I don't know, Alex, if you saw our, our primer sheet that we sent out to a couple people before, but one of the categories on Bill and Frank's Guilt-Free Pleasures, especially from the early days, was would Chris Newkirk like this song? So, Frank, what do we do with that category? We bring it back today? Well, Chris, can you go into the booth so we can talk about you and your appreciation of this song? And then you can come back and you can guess whether we think that you like this song or not. The great thing is we we have an answer finally to this category that we can say 100% Chris Newkirk does like this song. Chris Newkirk loves this song. It's his favorite song of all time. It is my favorite hair metal song. I was going to say, I think to me, I, I would guess that it's on the outskirts, almost into the Darklands category, if you're looking at the Chris Newkirk musical love map. <laughs> oh, I love it. I feel like it's a Tolkien-esque map that I would pull out of the Julie's, uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah, the edges of the, the map are going gray. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the book cover, and it's right there. Yeah, no, I think it's it's a little closer to... Uh, the Shire than you think. Okay. I like the idea of you tapping into this for this uh, future album that we're pretty excited about. Are you Are you working on the album right now? Or just kind of getting ideas back and forth? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes to both. <laughs> we're always going to be working on new things yeah. from here on out. Could Michael Bolton sing this song? I think we know the answer to that. I gotta let everyone else respond before I respond. I have a different answer. I have a different Really? Okay, okay. Go ahead, Chris. I think Michael Bolton sings photograph, Joe Elliott sings the response and oh, his yeah. color chorus. Yeah. Because Michael Bolton's first album was considered more of a rock, almost on the edge of a hard rock album before he went straight ballads. So I think he can sing this song. I think he's got the chops. Oh, he can sing this. He can sing this. I think it's actually, in some respect, in his style. Yeah. The delivery. Yeah. I mean, he's probably not used to singing such a short verse, but would he he belt it? Would he nail it? Yes. Mm. Would, in actuality, I want to hear him do it? I'd want to hear him in that guest cameo. Like, I think that would actually be fun. Alec, could Alex, he, could he deliver rock and roll clown the way it needs to be delivered? <laughs> that is the fulcrum. Would that be very, the right word? This is where it all rests on. This is, <laughs> yes. Uh, I imagine, I mean, in the video, he's going to be dressed as a clown. Frank, would that be fair? <laughs> could we do that to him? I don't think he would do that to himself. <laughs> okay. Kenny G would be dressed up as a clown in yeah. the corner. <laughs> but when when he sings this... Like, I just imagine him growing bigger and bigger as he gets through the chorus and becomes like Godzilla Bolton style and just destroys whatever's around him. Yeah. Like he can't help it. Full double denim. Oh, my goodness. Nobody, he's going to be towering, just like King Kong. And, you know, you're a city there, Chris. A Hallmark movie. We talk about this often. I don't know if Chris and Alex, you've had to watch Hallmark movies at all. In your married life, if that's a thing, would this song fit into a Hallmark movie? Or how would you fit it into a Hallmark movie? 
it's not sappy enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's got the right theme, but it's too raw. Yeah. The chicks wouldn't love it. Now, this is the thing of Def Leppard. The chicks did love Def Leppard, which is how they were able to sort of overcome certain barriers. However, I get it that in terms of the Hallmark world, right. this song is too raw. This, as is, I think a cover version of this could neatly play into a unrequited oh. love story or a I've got your photo, but I am abroad and we are separated from each other. Or one of the creepy stories where there is a stalker, but there is the handsome next door neighbor or the guy that just moves to the town that fights off that stalker as we get closer to the climax. Taylor Swift did play with Def Leppard on like the Crossroads episode that they got nominated for, I think, an award for. She could sing Photograph. And then when they talk about someone being so wild and free, it could be someone who's living in the country at their farmhouse. Okay, there's our Hallmark movie. Uh, let's go to mixtape. Julie's, did you bring a mixtape to the table here? And just from our conversation, I worry you're treading on whatever I've chosen, but let's go with it. I had difficulty narrowing down to, you know, the assignment was to bring two songs in addition to Photograph. So my two are Electric Blue by Ice House and Since You've Been Gone by The Outfield. Oh, wow. So, all three of these songs, to me, have a similar feel in the sense that there's a nice driving verse, but then that chorus hits, and the, the guitar work feels similar in some of them. One, Electric Blue, the keyboard plays the part of the guitar, but it's got that beautiful arpeggiated chord opening up. So those are my two that I would throw on a mixtape with Photograph. Awesome. I chose, so I, can, I, I chose two songs by artists that flirt with the hair metal genre but aren't all the way in the first is by the cult who are more of like a post-punk alternative band but they they have hair metal tendencies uh she sells sanctuary it is a song about probably a sexual relationship or finding comfort or, or, or in that sort of like maybe romantic or sexual embrace it's got the same sparkly guitar it's a hard thick guitar but it's it's got that sparkle it's got that sort of shine and shimmer so the second song i chose is by a band called the outfield so we've got two entries from this band i feel like they're like they're a 80s rock band but they kind of have some tendencies that go towards hair metal and but they also almost are in that sort of new wave space but they don't go firmly into either uh, but I chose Your Love. The guitar sound is eerily at times similar to the yeah. Def Leppard sound. It's it's thick and crunchy, and it's got it's also sparkly. And it also is a song about maybe lust. Certainly lust. It's about wanting to use your love. I think there's oh, something yeah, yeah. in these in both of these songs. I'm choosing that there's a thematic in both of these songs that sort of overlap with Def Leppard's sort of theme of desire or obsession or, or, or lust or want. And then really for me, it's that there's like some very 80s drum hitting and that sparkly thick guitar sound. I'm going to go with two myself then because you've done two. Frank will also be going with two, I believe. Okay, so I, uh, narrowing down my list, it was a little too long, but I'm going to go with just heavy songs I like. And Frank's, Frank's going to ruin the whole thing. He's just in the background telling me this seems different. I have Unchained by Van Halen, because it's awesome. 
And this is for you, Alex. To Hell with the Devil by Striper. Oh, yeah. What? Yeah. This whole time you've been sitting on that? Yeah, I've been having. And when I heard you talk Striper, I'm like, I thought no one else was bringing this to the table. It's such an awesome song. Alex, we're going to bring you on when we do To Hell with the Devil, because we got lots of Striper to talk about. And I had Van Halen and Striper on my shortlist as well, and I cut them off. Oh, awesome. It was meant to be. Yeah. I went with something completely different in terms of my theme, but I'm going to grab two of the songs from my list and put it onto the Bill and Frank's guilt-free pleasure mixtape here and trying to go as much as I can with Bill's theme as well. Uh, my theme was about infatuation and, and obsession in songs. So I am going to pick can't fight this feeling anymore by REO Speedwagon and then finish it with Jesse's girl by Rick Springfield. I had that on my, uh, yeah. Yeah, you had it, but I was the one who said it. So. <laughs> well, I didn't want to choose it, but there there is a reason why it's on the list. May I suggest a category? The who else could have done this song? Yes. I would like to hear what you all think, and I'm happy with my selection. So, Like what band could have done it, or like what individual artist? I thought it was what band. That is a toughie. I don't know. I think Cheap Trick could have done a great version of it. Oh, yeah. And I'm getting the nods of approval from everyone on the screen. So I think I really knocked that one out of the park. So no one else needs to even say anything. I want to hear what Alex has to bring to this table here. I think Future Islands would kill this song. Oh, wow. Future Islands. I didn't think about that. I have no idea who that band is. (laughs) You do, because you know a song. I played it for you. Okay. (laughs) So they could pull off that verse bass and drum groove like they've got a really nice every song of theirs has a really awesome groove to it um but then the vocal style i think would fit sam's from future islands you know, like the rhythmic delivery and he could turn that into something really awesome i've already said taylor swift i said that i did say taylor swift yeah. so I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick with taylor swift because she's money chris now i'm gonna live it with alex alex just nailed it all right i've talked enough I really want to talk about your new album. I really, really like it. Like, it's, you know, when you're, like, I don't know if you know this because you don't, I don't know if you have friends who are in a band, but then we have friends who are in bands and they'll say, yeah, here's a song. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, uh, that was it's good. Yeah. Was, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go see you at the local show. But then this comes out. I'm like, oh, this is good. One is, this is good. Two is Chris, like, I've known Chris since 2009, maybe. And, he rarely brought up the Julie's with me. We drove all the way to New York City. He might have played one Julie song for me once, but he kept it back. And then, and then I heard "Wake Up, Christine." Like, what? Wait, wait a second. This is really good. And then I would work through it. Like, well, I've been working through January and Love Life again. When uh, Always and Always came out, I'm like, oh, wait a second, this is really, really good. And then you had that moment of like, wait a second, they. This band could have made it if anyone gave them a chance and you ran into all the bad luck with the record label, right? And and I know there's stories. This is a classic story for others too, but... And the fact that you look too much like Marky Mark. No, danced like a bed and looked like him. But then you you also were able to come back 27 years later and make an album that's still as good, to me, better... In terms of like taking all your experience and not being redundant, but being actually really interesting and sonically interesting and carrying it forward for an album like this is kind of unheard of. 
just as a sign for me is listening to uh i I listened to the final song and it was hard to hard to hope wait a second hope is hard hope is hard oh my goodness it's so good It's, it's so good the whole album takes you to places uh sonically so i just um like i really want you to know how much i like the album but i just want to put it out like i'm really glad you're still making music and I'm hoping you're hearing this from your long-term fans about how great this album is. That was a thank you. That was a review that was worth putting into print. Oh, all right. Thank well, you, Bill. We're recording this. Well, hey, no, thank you. <laughs> this is great. Looking forward to the Christmas album, of course, but we'll we'll talk about that. And and I know Frank wants to do backing vocals on the new album. My singing skills have really come along. I've really grown as an artist. Yeah. And as an individual. And I think that I have a lot to offer the Julies. Uh, so backing vocals, uh, maybe I could learn an instrument. How are you? Uh, do you need tambourine that is played out of time? Because I can do that. Yeah, Ian McGlynn didn't do very well on the the backing vocals for us on Always and Always. So Frankie yeah. could step in. Yeah, I know we got to talk Ian McLean. Like maybe the Julies want to make us a new theme song because Ian. Well, we're trying our best for that guy, but uh, Bill and Frank, did you know that Alec took a stab at reinterpreting Ian's theme for your show? The first time I listened to your podcast, I heard that theme music and I loved it. I love those chords. So I was thinking, and I knew we were coming on the podcast. And I was thinking, well, what would this sound like? Julie's fied. Like, you know, what, yeah. would that, what would that be? And so I took like 10 minutes and threw down a couple of tracks and it came out pretty cool. And then Chris told me after I shared it with him that Ian actually wrote your theme song, which makes perfect sense because the chords are beautiful. thank the Julies for joining us today on Bill and Frank's Guilty Pleasures. Yeah, it's been absolutely fantastic to have you guys on to confuse me with words I don't understand and musical terms that I will never, ever, ever grasp. Well, thank you for having us. <laughs> we already got ideas for bringing you back. So we, we know we got a Striper episode. There's a Cameo episode that's coming up. And we got a couple other ideas, too. I know we can't do a Cure episode without referencing you and bringing you back on. I know Dave Kitchen, who's been on our episode a lot, wants to talk about the Cure. Cure's come up a lot, but I feel we're getting closer to it. So, Bill and Frank's guilt-free pleasures. We want to thank the Julies for coming in and putting on this fantastic episode. I know that my experience with your band is through Spotify and other streaming services, and I get to see the photograph of the album, but it's not enough. And today, 
we got to experience the Jewelies. Thank you for listening to Bill and Frank's Guilt-Free Pleasures.